Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny Cast. thinking about how well we would survive as uh, Nordic Viking people. Mm, interesting. And honestly, I'm most concerned about my inability to grow a beard. Oh, okay, okay. That might cause some conflict. I'm someone, <laughs> I love standing on a rainy seashore, honestly. Of course. I feel like that's kind of like... I, I I kind of feel weirdly in my element. Like yeah. I I went to Ireland once to watch the Cork Iron Man. Ooh, okay. Yeah, my mother was supposed to do it. Uh, at the last minute, uh she couldn't. Her her doctor told her not to, and you know, mm. now she's been ramping up to uh, you know, eventually doing Iron Man again. You know, you're 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 there in Ireland, but you're also there with a bunch of Iron Man athletes. And they're right. all just like, that's a whole cult, you know, oh, that yeah. maybe we'll have to get into one day. Mm. But, you know, it's just all a bunch of people that talk about their time intervals and everything and have very, very specific bike gear, right. utility belts full of goo uh, okay. that they eat. All right. Yeah, and just like, I was just standing there in the rain watching these people, and they're all so miserable looking, because uh-huh. it was raining the entire day. They canceled the swim. I think a good portion of the people did not finish, like, a significant portion did not finish even for, like, you know, a typical Iron Man where... Unless you are, like, basically the three people out in front who, like, uh-huh. do this professionally... Like, everyone else is just trying to finish. Nobody even cares about their time. And watching people, like, bike slower than we can walk up a hill, Mm. you know, like, five times is just... It, it it was it was su- it was such a bizarre experience of like all of these people everybody's miserable standing out in the cold irish rain and just like this this interesting thing of watching other people who are also miserable but are also exhausted yeah that is that is levels of misery right there for sure exactly oh yeah and i but honestly, like the part where you're just walking in the rain, I I weirdly kind of like it. Oh, okay. I mean, it is definitely an aesthetic, and I can kind of, I don't know. I feel like it's very peaceful, sitting mm, out in the yeah. rain and kind of just like, yeah. I don't know, s- soaking it in. <laughs> I, I I'm sorry. God damn I'm sorry. you. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I feel like on a boat, it's a whole different experience. Like I'm oh, very yeah. I can totally be down for that. Like I am mm. I am obsessed with boats, even though I've only been on them a handful of times. And I it's weird because it's like I live in New Jersey, you know, I've been living in Jersey for my whole life essentially. 
Except yes, when I'm in but, the Uncanny you, Valley. You know, you know all about uh, you know all about Salt Life. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> would would yeah. okay? Let me let me ask this then. Yes. Would the Vikings have had Salt Life stickers on their longboats? Oh, interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. See, what I'm mm-hmm. picturing is something like, if that type of culture had persisted, would it be right. like contemporary Mongolians? Where mm. they basically kind of, not not all of Mongolia, but there's a lot of people in Mongolia that kind of just live and dress the same way they have for yeah. a very very long time but they have motorcycles now it's so cool it's so cool <laughs> have you seen that the the who video with oh god wolf totem i think is the song if you haven't looked it up it's amazing. oh it's yeah, the coolest. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it's so cool it is like oh my god it's amazing i was like i i am so intimidated i want to be there it's just <laughs> oh it's awesome it's awesome <laughs> yeah uh, yes I think I think it's possible though. Yeah, I could see. Well, the, the difficult thing here, the needle to thread, is what we ideally want in our modern um, revision of Vikings is mm-hmm. we want himbos. Yes, yeah, we want. I think so. We want our our feminist buff men. Right. That are that are just kind of strong and dumb. Yes. Uh, and, but but respect women. You know the right, the, the the crucial himbo trinity. And, you know, and and this is I think in part perpetuated by by Thor as well. Yeah. The true. the um the, the Marvel character. Um, but with 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 salt life boat bro energy. You've got the uh, the Oakley sunglasses, basketball shorts, uh, uh, man culture. Yeah, not a good combo there. It would be kind of cool yeah. if there was, though. I think it's like you're kind of going to want to look for a Wayne from Letterkenny mixed with like Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Where you're going to go raid that facing village over there. Oh, yeah, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'll tell you what we're going to do right now. We're going to go over there, and we're going to go raid those guys right there. All right, pitter-patter. That's my best Wayne impression. I cannot sound like those guys from Letter. It's impossible. Come over here and say that to my face. Oh, I bet. Oh, we're going to come, all right. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Amazing. Well, yes. I, I guess I guess that kind of leads us back to our topic here of the Vikings in part mm-hmm. two of our of our large tour here on them. What a great intro in talking about Letterkenny Vikings, because I feel like that somehow adds up. I mean, uh, that <laughs> accent makes slightly more sense, does. honestly, than uh, than Thor with his British accent. Or wait, is Hemsworth uh, Australian? He's Australian, yeah. So okay. which I feel like would have been hilarious just having yes. Thor with like an Aussie accent. Would have been great. Yeah, I mean, I kind of always love, you know things that completely throw all of that to the wind which i feel like yeah in a in in a in a fairly smart move i think marvel has done to yeah remove any idea of aryan racial purity from uh norse mythology i think you could thank taika for that one 
Taika Waititi definitely did a, 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 it's not just him, but that helped with Ragnarok completely changes this. Uh, yeah, you know. or like, well, it's, the, it's comics, the whole, guess, it's too. the whole Conan the Barbarian thing where yeah. you can kind of have something that vaguely resembles this ancient culture that we're all vaguely familiar with, but then you have James Earl Jones there right. with, uh, with white bangs, um, and you're like, it's sort of like when I was watching Game of Thrones for the first time and I was uh-huh. trying to figure out where this took place before I realized uh, it, it was on a on another Mythical planet. Place. Yeah. <laughs> not Earth. Literally not Earth. I was like, when did this happen? <laughs> there were dragons? I don't remember that in English history. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, I mean, human history is so long and so mm-hmm. much of it is, is unrecorded. You could entertain the idea that some Tolkien-esque uh, civilization came and went and we just never uh, ne- never heard about them because those texts don't survive. That is, I genuinely believe that to mm-hmm. a certain extent because I think it's so fascinating. We're going to have to talk about yeah. that at some point because that's such an interesting theory to like mm-hmm. think about and it could solve a lot of the whole ancient alien problems that are Yeah, there. just just the idea that, you know, like a lot of things we had to reinvent things as yeah. as war, as as yeah. time passed on and uh and 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 people just just felt the need to record things a little that's bit true. better. That's true. Yeah. Or, you know, Things happen, and I think that actually mm-hmm. kind of ties us into this a lot, too, because we're going to talk about a lot of what we know and what we don't know about the Vikings and where they went, kind of literally. Um, oh. Yeah, it's it's a, a, a lot. They went everywhere, because, yes. you know, you. I yes. think as we know in history, we have a seafaring-type people, regardless if you're from mm-hmm. the north or the southern hemisphere or, or wherever, literally. Yeah, salt life. Salt life. Salt life, I feel like, is what connects the Phoenicians, the Vikings, the uh, the Maori people. All of these together are all united <laughs> under salt life. Not, not the Ron John's uh, surf shop salt life. This is, this is pre-Ron John salt life. Is that a uh, thing? Yes. That should be a thing. That needs to be a Ron- thing. I mean, yeah, you know, I can just imagine the Spanish landing in Florida and there's already a Ron John. <laughs> Please, where's the anachronism? That needs to happen. Ponce oh de Leon. Ponce de Leon. Whoa, whoa, bruh, bruh. Not cool, you need dude. To... Not cool. Not cool, Spanish. <laughs> oh, my God. Could you imagine? That dude, would be... Fountain of Youth. The family youth is surfing these uh, gnarly yeah. tubes, you know. Oh my god! As resident Florida boy, that that sounds about right, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to understand, and I I've been only recently starting to see this on TikTok expressed um, and other social media. There is a crucial difference between East and West Coast Floridians. Yeah. And this also confused me once I moved out West and people were like, you're from the East Coast, you know, and I'm living in Montana and I'm like, I'm from the West Coast of Florida. Entirely different vibe from East Coast of Florida. Yeah. Where, hey, you know, we get lightning strikes, they get shark attacks. Oh. Yeah. That's, uh, that'll definitely shape you as a people. Mm-hmm, I guess mm-hmm. I shouldn't be surprised. I also get shark attacks here in New Jersey. That's pretty common. 
ish. I think originally in the novel of Jaws, it takes place on the Jersey Shore. Um, and that they makes sense. for the movie they made it you know vaguely more New England. Yeah, I mean the Jersey Shore is one of the most popular places, so I could I could see that. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, but yeah, no, I I imagine the the vibes of a shark attack on the Jersey Shore versus Cocoa Beach. Oh, I've been to um, Cocoa Beach. What an yeah, what a weird place. It's yeah, interesting. Yeah. That I believe that is the shark attack capital of Florida. Seriously. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's terrifying. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. But a an, but... <laughs> lot, of, lot of hippies, a lot of crystals as well, mm. I think. You know? That's interesting. I missed that mm -hmm. part. Um, yes. But yeah, so sharks, boats, salt life. What does that have to do with the Vikings? Well, technically, every, technically everything, if we really break it down. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think we can just kind of pick back up and continue on our tour of what we last continue we on last this on this oceanic voyage. Yeah, this Viking world tour, if you will, because that's essentially mm. what this is going to turn into. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Viking world tour. Exactly. Yes. Yes, it's... and 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 the the Nor the Norse people they're definitely into trolls as well. Yes. Yes, they are. So it's so it's a. It's a real trolls world tour. If you there know it mean. is. If you know what there I mean. Yeah. yeah. I planned for that to happen, of course. <laughs> so essentially, it is a real uh, Viking slash Norse trolls world tour, if you will. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk mm -hmm. about where they went, how they got there potentially, and also what we don't know, which is most of this. Um, <laughs> but kind of in starting, though, I wanted to pick back up where we left off, which was mm -hmm. discussing kind of the beginning of the Viking Wars in England specifically and where that was going to lead us. But again, without necessarily diving too much into that, because I don't think we have the time nor the focus to deal with it. Cause it's a lot, it's a lot of information. And like I said, um, the last kingdom, great show on Netflix that describes that event relatively well. Uh, Viking Wars by Max Adams, another really good book. If you're just more interested in the politics and the, archaeological history of what was left on the uh on specifically england's part of mm -hmm. the british isles but mm -hmm. in continuing so in leaving off having having mentioned the vikings essentially raiding and trading their way through europe from 796 to 1066 ce or what's better known as the viking age that's kind of where i wanted to pick right back up and so we talked about what they would have looked like, what clothing they may have worn or may not have worn, what their technology was like, what their weaponry was like, and even what kind of boats they had. Therefore, I want to focus specifically, though, on the raiding and, for lack of a better term, adventuring aspect of the Viking or lifestyle. Because I think this ah. is something that I kept, you know, raid and trade is the key word throughout this entire uh, multi-part tour. And I don't think we talked enough about the raiding. You know, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. as I mentioned before, the Lindisfarne Monastery is the first recorded Viking raid in history. It would go on to be recognized as the kicking off point for the intensity and political situation that the Vikings would have had with the English and even Celtic kingdoms on the British Isles. Nevertheless, mm -hmm. to give some very quick backstory into what will happen in the next few centuries, around the start of the ninth century, there's a very high interest in the British Isles, specifically the kingdoms of England as a place for Viking settlements, or really, to be more specific, Danish and some Norwegian settlements. This is mm -hmm. kind of like, as we saw with Lindisfarne, this is really when 
there's becoming this interest of, hey, the ground is really nice here. There's a lot of food. There's a lot of land. And there's also a lot of silver. We could take this over. And there's some political turmoil here and there that kind of ignite that to happen more. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the old kingdom of Denmark is going to really be the main focal point here, specifically within England, because they're the ones that kind of initiate this whole settling of England besides just kind of hit and run raids. And so in skipping ahead to the juicy bits of this, as I was kind of mentioning on our last tour, we've already talked about Hamlet. We did talk about Hamlet. That's the, that's the juicy bits of Danish history. I mean, didn't we visit that castle? That it's like based. Oh yeah, of? yeah, Cronenberg. <laughs> yeah, Cronenberg Castle. Da- 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 like David David Cronenberg. Yeah, castle. David Cronenberg's castle. That was a very weird castle. That was pretty like, whack. It was very. It was squishy. It was yeah. It was a little squishy. Fleshy. <laughs> um, yeah. Come to think of it. Now, what? Mm. Um, with Vikings, I'm confused because I okay. We we talked about this previously that it was not so much that they called themselves Vikings, but that yeah. this was a thing that they did, which was to go a Viking. Correct. Yes. Um, now, but you're also mentioning some political stuff as well. And it's one yes. of these things that I wonder a lot about with, um, any of these ancient empires and cultures that had a very singular, simplistic and effective goal of, uh, just rolling over shit, you right, know. Right, right, right. I'm thinking of the Mongols, uh-huh. you know, as with um Genghis Khan and his sons later. Yet I don't always know how to think of them in terms of statecraft. You know that mm. once once you roll into a place, how do you manage it thereafter? Because, uh. I mean, even going back to our exhibit on the Inca, the Inca, you know, conquered an enormous territory in a short amount of time for an army that had no horses. Um, But the Inca understood the importance of don't get rid of the existing governments. And this is something that, you know, the that a lot of countries have struggled with especially in the 20th century where something has to be removed and uh some government has to be removed and yet sometimes we fumble in what gets put Mm -hmm. in its place Uh, or what do we do after the war is won you know right you could look at you could look at you know the success of germany post-world war ii um uh-huh. or you could look at the european dissolution of the ottoman empire that's you know sort of kept us in the mm-hmm. in in the un, that is you know a direct cause of the destabilization of the middle east to this day yeah absolutely um i think it's to start because it's kind of a loaded question i think Mm -hmm. um it's very interesting you bring up the mongols because there's a lot of similarities here and and part of that is in this idea of conquering and attacking a lot of land and then figuring out what to do and kind of like the vikings planned the mongols were similar in in setting up trade right like that became Mm -hmm. actually the the thing that came out of all the killing and, and and you know takeover was trade routes and it worked out pretty well later on 
Um, and it's the same thing here. And I think a lot of the motivation behind this political aspect of what they were trying to do, specifically, let's go with the Danes in this instance mm-hmm. in England. It's at first, oh, there's these monasteries, these buildings with silver, and they're just giving mm-hmm. it to us to go away. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Let's just okay. keep doing it. And they did, and it worked. And you're, and we, I have some more uh, specific examples a little later on, but we'll wait to get to that because it's there needs to be the context first. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. before getting into that aspect of it, this you know this idea of we keep showing up, they give us things, then we leave them alone, and then we come back and do it all over again is the attitude for a little bit in the early Viking age. And then it is a very, this is a very Italian mobster approach. It is. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the very we'll much it's extortion. for something up until your monasteries. Yeah, they, it's extortion and they used it and it worked until it didn't. And then the idea was, Hey, they are very close to us and we can take part of it. Their kingdoms are fractured. We can mm-hmm. manipulate and work our way in and they have the numbers to do it. And they did, you know, we, like they, we talk about like the great heathen army of mm-hmm. in 865, you know, where massive Danish forces are invading in the English kingdoms and it works. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they take York, they take um, parts of Mercia, they, they launch attacks in and it becomes really effective. But then the political parts are once they own these areas, now they have the cards to demand, you know, to work with trade, to work out routes, to deal with the English, to set up merchantilism, and, and it works. Yeah, but but you you take over that area, and what? Now you now you're in well, charge of a bunch of English people. They're so petty. <laughs> I mean that. Yeah, they're well, so sarcastic. That's true. <laughs> well, the thing that ends up coming the problem is it's like. And we'll see it later with Dane law and other things that come in well into the to 10th and 11th century is like they don't want them there in a lot of cases until everybody converts. So it's this like sometimes it was good because mm-hmm. they brought trade and they brought a lot of commerce and yeah. specifically the Danes. And, and sometimes it yeah. wasn't. And they were disrupting, you know, a lot of stuff that was going on or making a lot of attacks to do so. Because the original, mm-hmm. you know, I think the idea is to you're cutting out a piece for yourself and it's like we can take over this island and we can control it and that you know the christians and these kingdoms are all going to be a part of us and it didn't work out because they it's kind of that problem of biting off more than you can chew and Mm -hmm. in a way this kind of sums up the entirety of the early viking wars because it's literally what happens it's like Mm -hmm. if there's a victory there's a lot a lot of victories and then there's a lot of losses and when they get when they lose they lose so it didn't Mm. really work out so I think politically, you know, there was a lot of negotiation, a lot of intimidation, and it's kind of behind this attack, this tactics, to my knowledge, I could be very wrong, but to what I, yeah. to what I understand, it is, do this for us, or we will keep attacking you, and it's cheaper for you to give us what we want than it is for you to defend all these places. Right. And it, and it works for a very, this, okay, this idea yeah. worked for a while. And then they, English got bolder because you know wessex starts to take over mercia and sussex and it basically we're, we're split into three or four english kingdoms versus just the the fractured bunch and then there's the welsh mm-hmm. and the irish who are doing their own thing and the picks to right. the north so mm-hmm. there's becomes this kind of split and domination because also in the earlier years like in the 700s and the 800s early 800s i should say it's still kind of like early middle ages people are still just claiming land like 
very early feudalism and there's no this there's no real idea of like countrymen there's no idea of this like grand empire yet you know the romans existed yeah, every, they have an idea everything's but, e- extremely regional yeah. and everything is just sort of determined by who can provide you any sort of protection it, at all and that's exactly, usually exactly exactly the, the 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 biggest dude with a sword is is going to end up in charge basically except then this starts to change and mm-hmm. that's when you start to see like Denmark becoming a kingdom and Norway becoming a kingdom and even like England becoming England. It takes a while, but it does eventually get there. But even mm-hmm. like I, I, I think it's interesting to think of like the idea of of strategy too. you know, like I, I like to think of one of the main players here within dealing with this this English conflict is these uh, Viking wars in England as Alfred the Great, or just Alfred as I, King Alfred, who is like the main character in lots of things now. He is a icon in English history, and people glorify him. And a lot of actually history is written around the English perspective or the Anglo-Saxon perspective, to be correct mm-hmm. in this, um, around him because his strategy is so interesting. Like he he's part of the reason that I think England becomes England and also that mm. the Wessex and Anglo-Saxons could actually repel the Danes for so long. Right. Cuz there there's a, there's a common enemy you can unite a people against that. Yes, and also it was just tactical strategy. He was just a great strategist mm. and and it was not the guy with interesting enough he yeah. wasn't the big guy with a sword. He was sickly kind of, you know, mm. he was like a weird dude. Like he was like you know the the guy who is in a church all the time, but still doing some sneaky stuff on the side. And yeah, was... the, the, it that's that's the fascinating thing with all of these because out of the the scheming, the 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 that sort of uh, might is right type of kerfuffle that just sort of is yeah. perpetual. Suddenly, you'll have the sickly nerd yeah, that exactly. comes up and completely shakes up a yeah. society you're exactly uh you're uh cosimo medici's yeah. your uh your mark zuckerberg's yeah. uh the the nerd that just comes in mm. and changes all the rules and some we just kind of wish would go away yeah yeah and i mean in this case it was like you know he he was a pi you know he was taught to be very pious at a young age i'm pretty sure they went on a pilgrimage to Rome, although that could be also fictionalized. Like, there is a lot of stuff behind him that makes him a very interesting candidate for to be king. And also, like, mm-hmm. what's interesting is like they didn't want like the the um the eldermen and like all the people of of the area. You know, they didn't want him to be king. They didn't like him because he was annoying. And he wanted like <laughs> he he wanted fucking Fred. Literally, it was like this attitude, like, you know, it was like, oh, like, he wants them to teach, like, to have this type of mass where they speak in English, like, or in the, you know, in the language, in Old English, you know, they want to do this. He wants education, but, like, this is, like, minimum. I mean, there's also, like, a lot, Wessex is 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 insanely power hungry. Like, they are taking over southern England, and they will keep going, and they basically mm-hmm. had full mm-hmm. political control of Mercia because of the marriage in between, you know, Without getting too far into it, there's a lot at stake. And so what's interesting, though, when he comes about, that's when you see a massive change in conflict. Because at this mm. point, the Danes and even other Viking raiders are, like, wreaking havoc in Northumbria, in um, in Mercia. And they're just, like, digging in, setting up territories, and just chilling and hanging out. 
you know, like the I I, I keep kind of mentioning all of these other pop culture things like, you know, Assassin's Creed Valhalla or Vikings or even The Last Kingdom. But they do take from history, like in Assassin's Creed, for instance, that you you have this like settlement that you set up right at Ravenscorp and it existed. We know it existed and it's it's based off of or loosely based off of an actual place. And the same thing in Vikings, like when they go to England with um, the sons of Ragnar Lothbrok, which is one thing I wanted to touch on as well, um, mm-hmm. with this idea of Ragnar Lothbrok is the person who we look at in the show Vikings, but also in the sagas as somebody who finds England, you know, and starts off these grand adventures and then ends up getting killed by King Ayla and then his sons, Bjorn Hafton and Ivar uh, uh, the Boneless and Uba Ragnarsson. Ivar the Boneless, Okay. And, or Ivar, Ivar or Ivar, it depends. I like Ivar better, but hey. <laughs> um, yo, that's he's a crazy character. I think I think I would take more offense to be called the Boneless. Well, yeah, he he was uh, allegedly paralyzed or like disabled. So oh, interesting. He, that's uh, apparently. I mean, this depends. In the show Vikings, he's portrayed this way because it's mentioned in the sagas a little bit. I think so. They kind of rolled with mm-hmm. it, which actually made a very interesting, you know, thing. He was interesting in that way because yeah. you're like oh okay like it just shows some interesting kind of character development he's a psychopath though to be clear this dude's nuts even in this in the, in the show it's like over the top but even in i think general yeah things, yeah if he existed okay. if he existed because we don't okay. know so okay. what i what i wanted to what kind of, what 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 year are we at we are about? in the let 866 specifically because i okay. wanted to jump right to when they take york because yes. they in the show Vikings and also in these stories, these are like our main characters, right? But okay. I don't I don't want them to be our main characters because we don't actually know if they're real. Because there's there's okay. like possible evidence that like Uba Ragnarsson existed and was in part of the mm. Dane army. The same thing with Bjorn Ironside or even Hafton Ragnarsson. It's possible. Okay. But I think there is a love, and same with Ragnar Lothbrok. I should be clear, but I think there's something a little worrisome when you have these like characters written in the 13th and 14th centuries in the sagas that are used as kind of literary devices to portray a narrative. That makes right. me a little bit nervous about saying, "Hey, these guys are real Vikings." The show is historically accurate because, <laughs> like, because they make yeah. these characters go do all these crazy, like. Like, Uber Ragnarsson did not go to North America. He wasn't alive. It, it, it doesn't make sense. So it's like, you know, but 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 in the show, it makes, you know, it's it's entertaining. Yeah. So it's fine. But well, you know, it, a lot of a lot of cultures would have had their their story was their their origin stories were conflated a lot with their own mythologies. I mean, yeah. You know, because Rome had about like three different origin stories. Um, right, whether exactly. you believed it was, um, you know, the uh, Aeneas fleeing Troy, you know, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or fl- basically as uh, <laughs> as uh, a uh, as a sequel to the Iliad, right? Or Romulus and Remus uh, getting raised by a wolf, you know, but. You know, those those were stories, but those had those had uh th- those were referenced so much in Roman political life and yeah. and day-to-day life that 
they they might as they, they they were treated as as stories with some sort of validity. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, depending on who you were talking to, I think they would. Yeah, they they might have had differing uh literal aspects yes. to them. It's so it's so difficult to know. Exactly, like, exactly. Did people just write this stuff down because this is the story we're writing it down? Or is this actually how people felt? And that's yeah, that's always yeah. my question in history because I can I can entertain that that both would have kind of been true in some way. I think it's in this case, to me it feels like the latter, but both are absolutely possible. I, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's interest like this was obviously on people's minds. These characters are yeah. are interesting and, and potentially real. Um but I don't wanna like jump conclusions because there's a lot of information when you you know research vikings for instance you're gonna get the show come up as the first thing you know if you google vikings that's what shows up obviously because it's the most popular but like i think it's in a lot of this because a lot of the history has also been co-opted it's also been changed and there's kind of this jump to make it about one main character or, or a few um you get it i think for me it's like much more interesting to think about it as like these were characters people would have knew and talked about because of the Icelandic sagas and other things. And it leads a A much more interesting story. A real... Americans don't believe in Paul Bunyan, but we know it's it's an idea that we're all familiar with. (laughs) Right, exactly. But, like, even in this case, like, King Ayla's real. He's a real person and existed. So, like there's a lot of figures that show up in the sagas that are also true. So it begs this question of like, okay, well, which, what parts are real and what parts aren't kind of like what we talked about with North America. Like, is that part real or was it added later? What happened? Because you can prove certain things were true and you can also prove that a lot of things weren't. So, you know, regardless though, I think that's kind of where that's led us. So I just wanted to be clear up front, you know, um, yeah, that these aren't going to be our main characters. We're going to talk about Vikings as a concept in general and then get into specific ethnic groups of them and where that takes them but i think even in just kind of ending this specific section on the viking wars because i don't want to get too bogged down with it Mm because it's a lot and we can we'll we'll be revisiting it because there's some stuff we all have to recap but at this point let's jump to the the battle of eddington specifically in 878 which is a marking point where Mm -hmm. king alfred leads the anglo-saxon armies of Wessex mm-hmm. and specifically all of his surrounding areas and defeats a massive Viking army here Whoa. or Dane, Dane army here specifically. Okay. And they lost bad. This is, a, mm. this is like where things turn around because at this point, you know, they owned York, they were owning parts of Mercia, East Anglia, other places. And they just like, they decided they were going to move their army to Wessex and they're going to, you know, mess, mess everything up. They're going to go in there. They're going to wreck up, you know, wreck it all up, take it over. And Wessex. Yep. And Sussex. <laughs> and whales but like you know and they just got they literally got defeated pretty bad and Mm. now this then turns all the anglo-saxon kingdoms to be like okay hold on we can actually deflect them now and then they start to so this makes it a lot harder and they get pushed a lot farther it's really you know it's just really hard to kill those uh those english knights because like you can cut off their arms Mm. their legs Till they're just kind oh, of ahead, yeah. and they're still trying still to fight you. Yeah, that's true. They can still fight. It's just a flesh wound. So yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say. I was like, "Where are you going with this?" There's no ma- There's no plate yet. You know. <laughs> also, it should probably be noted since we talked about weaponry real fast that, like, mm-hmm. I you know, Dane 
weaponry and technology would have their strategies were a lot better in because of the shield walls and because of spears and the and the iron or almost steel swords that we talked about mm-hmm. and weapons uh until they figured out how to counter the shield walls and then that kind of ended that so uh, okay. just say like that's when okay this is where like and you'll see this kind of happen and and specifically where we're going to go to next because like this the 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 viking way of fighting the vikinger way of fighting is so strategically sound when no one knows who you are because they don't mm. know how to counter you it's like it's like playing chess if you open the same way every time we as, as humans understand patterns and somebody will counter yeah. you so that's what happens in warfare too and it interesting, does interesting interesting i i mean well you know you saw that same thing happen with napoleon that yeah. you know until until they figured out how to it basically kept using the same strategy over and over again and basically loses once people figure that out yeah yeah exactly and that i think is my theory partially on why a lot of this goes wrong later Mm -hmm. um but also there's just because of some political motivation and other things but i think all of that being said and jumping into that strategy being used and eventually backfiring I wanted to take us through our world tour of the Viking adventures and raided tor- territories, but I wanted to keep it close to home. So we're going to be mm. starting specifically with Ireland first. Oh, the Emerald Ireland. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So as stated before, the Viking Age starts around 796 CE, and it's essentially marked by the exploding amounts of recorded raids by early Scandinavian peoples. Oh, In- I... I'm about finished with these raids. They, well, that's true. They definitely were. And uh, this is kind of what we'll get into the parts of them getting annoyed and eventually rebelling. But before then, we have to talk about who was even doing them. So, you know, instead of the Danes this time being the ones who were so interested in raiding and scouting the English Isles Mm. specifically and taking over, it's actually the Norse this time around. Now, on okay. the last the last tour, I was mentioning the different kind of ethnic groups and areas of, of the Vikings because it's just a con. It's the it's not an ethnic group. It's like a, you know you just are. So you had yeah, your Norse. It would, be, it would be it would be like if your your ethnicity was pirate. Exactly, exactly. That makes sense. So you know you had the Vibe King Swedes who were just chilling. You had the <laughs> Danes who were settling England and figuring out their armies, and then you had the Norse people from Norways or from Norway who, not to be confused with also the Old Norse, as I've also referred to um, older Scandinavian people, or ancient Scandinavian peoples, it depends, because Old Norse peoples can be used for the general area. So it's just, you know, language is weird. But essentially, Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. to make it clear, when you say there's Norse Vikings, Danish Vikings, and Swedish Vikings, and we'll get to the other ones later. But, so, Norway is a land of... Massive mountains and fjords, as well as trolls. I can attest to this because <laughs> I met and when we were in when we were in Florence, I went out with friend. Actually, I think you might have been there, Zan, but you went have been at a party or something before we met up. And I was hanging out with people outside of a bar, and I just decided to start talking to this group of girls. And one of them was from Norway because she told ah. me it's just kind of very straight up. It was kind of interesting because you know how I am with people. Mm-hmm. I just communicate and yeah, go, oh, where are you from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also because she spoke English really well in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, wait a minute, yeah. what's happening? Anyway, so uh-huh. we got on a conversation. I said, oh yeah, I just went to visit Denmark a couple like months ago. It was super cool. And she's like, ugh, it's too flat. 
And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and I, apparently, uh, it, you know, it's, it's very flat, which I can attest to. Denmark's very flat and Norway has a lot of mountains. And she particularly liked m- mountains. Never saw her again, but uh, apparently I was promised to go on a uh, car adventure into the mountains. And I really wish I would have been able to take her up on that because that would have been cool. I mean, she could have just been a shape-shifting troll trying to lure you into mm. the mountains to eat you. Jotun, this is true. This is possible. Oh, yes. man. Who knows? I never saw them again, so it doesn't matter. Well, but... <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that that story sounds very, like it, 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 that very well could have been one of Sorry, the things. Um, <laughs> it's possible. I mean, I, I knew a Norwegian uh, girl in Australia, and she oh. was named it was it was one of those names that like we don't have all of the sounds in english yeah um so we just called her tuna um but apparently huh. her name is the feminine version of thor it- um yeah but but the closest thing it sounded like in english was tuna so you know just huh that's interesting <laughs> like we're on the office what's up tuna oh jesus (laughs) did she like that or was she annoyed i think she appreciated we were just trying oh you know okay wow but yeah no otherwise otherwise very nice i mean there were a ton (laughs) of uh norwegian exchange students in australia they like to travel yeah um and they do get very excited at least in my experience when you do talk about vikings because to them when they're in like their world history classes that's the good part yeah that's and then i think they talk about the mythology and other things and it seems fun i think i kind of i guess it would be like if you're italian and you learn about the romans you know i feel like that's a similar maybe i don't know i never learned i mean i mean for for uh, my 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 good friend Angela, I think that's uh, uh, you know yeah. Greek Greek history for you know, sure. Anytime, for sure. Anytime that's brought up, I think yeah. even her her father, you know, really loved bringing up anytime anything is mentioned. Yeah. Uh, his his habit was to talk about how the Greeks invented that. Oh my God, that's like straight from that movie. <laughs> um. Her her <laughs> life literally is my big fat Greek. It's wedding. amazing. It is amazing. I oh gosh, fabulous. Mm-hmm. So, but but the big fat Viking wedding. Yes, of course. Essentially, these are this is it's it's similar. You know, the Norse Vikings are similar, but also different. Just like Denmark is flat and Norway is uh, mountainous, and it has lots and lots of fjords. Uh, okay, and okay. one thing that's it, very interesting as well, and this is just like my last strange Norwegian fun fact that I know, or not even Norwegian, mm-hmm. just in general Scandinavian, is that so apparently all of the accents sound differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if I mentioned this before or not, but if I did, just cut me off. That so in Danish, like when you speak Danish, it's the the Norwegians and even the Swedes will like kind of make fun of them because it sounds like they're talking with potatoes in your mouth. From what I understand, what like the does way that, that sounds like, like it's really like I don't know. Imagine you had like potato in the back of your mouth and you were trying to make like vowels. It's just very uh-huh. like crunched. It's very like you know hard. Hard. I don't know how to describe it, but like <laughs> so that's the way. That's why everybody has a tough time speaking Danish unless you were born there because the accent's so different. But in Norway, mm. it sounds like you're it's because it's like essentially the same language groups. They're just a bit different depending on what one. And this is specifically Norsk and Danish. So in Norway, though, it sounds like you're singing. That's how it's described. Kind of like how in, in the Irish okay. accent is described as singing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the Swedish is like more of the like 
the Australian kind of accent compared to them both because you know they're all yeah. like Danish and Norwegian are very similar. Swedish is a little bit of an outlier. Icelandic they're speaking Old Norse. It's like the, it's the closest is you there, can get. Is there any um? Is there like a uh, an association that we have with the different accents and dialects of English where you know we feel like posh English accents sound yeah. intelligent, Southern accents we we perceive as as sounding less intelligent. Like I'm I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. I know they make fun of each other, but it's all in good fun, from what I've heard. Like it's kind of like, mean, yeah. I don't. I don't hear that much on the news about I think, the turmoil yeah. in Scandinavia. I think you um, can look at the difference of also just like settler colonialism being a major factor for a lot yeah, of this. Uh, yeah. And in those countries, it's a little bit of a different colonial problem. Um, Did I ever tell you that my ex girlfriend, uh, when I told her I was going on birthright? Uh, I was getting yeah. ready to go to Israel and she told me that she up until that point had been very confused about where Israel was because right. she thought it was a Scandinavian country. I, yeah, I remember you saying that. And I was like, does she not ever read a map? Because that well, was very and not to be mean. I just was so confused. Yeah, her 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 thing was, I mean, she mainly said she's like, hey, that's Montana public schools for you. I mean, that's valid. Um, but I was like, I was more confused because like, but you went to church growing up. Didn't you think yeah. it was weird that the Jews leave Egypt and what? They went all the, <laughs> the way. Why do you, what do you, why do you, it's like you listen to the news. Why do you think the Middle East would care if Israel was in Scandinavia? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, she man. just she just hey. her reasoning was it started with I. So she assumed it was near Ireland. <sighs> Can't argue or with Iceland. that. Can't argue or with Iceland. that, I guess. Hi there. My name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. Oh, yep, man. Yep. But anyway, and going back to Ireland, going back to the Norse involvement in Ireland. So because of the way that Norway is, you know, with, again, massive mountains, lots of fjords, and, of course, trolls. Yes. Their motivations for it seem kind of valid. You know, we mm. don't specifically know what it was that led them to lead these expeditions into Ireland, and it's not exactly clear. But mm. we can assume it'd be for two reasons, which are land and riches, just like everything else. So, you know, Norway okay. itself is hard to farm and it's hard to grow food on. So therefore, it would make sense for the Norse to focus on raiding as well as trading to survive. And I guess in right. this case, farming as well was like interested in or people were interested in it. But, you know, so anyway, in 798, the Norse Vikings entered the Irish Sea and sacked St. Patrick's Isle north of Dublin and west of the Isle of Man which is where Jeff the Talking Mongoose was from, if anybody knows what that is. Oh, yeah. Little fun fact. So it's essentially the island from How to Train Your Dragon. That's how I think of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So, so this, would have been in the, this would have been in the typical Viking hit-and-run style, as we're familiar with, and carried out rather quickly. And mm. through the following years, this type of activity would be pretty 
common all over through the Irish coastlines, with monasteries being sacked at seemingly random and treasures looted from coastal villages. And it's safe to assume that at this point, the early Irish did not have as built up of a navy compared to the Norse Vikingers or any coastline forts to help them defend their these areas at all. Mm. So what's the solution? The Irish have had a rough go of it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's any t- any harsh. kind of autonomy. Yeah, well at this point they run their uh, there's no English involvement yet. So they're doing their thing. There's just Christianity now, so I guess that's, you know. I mean, well, we know how much they embraced that. Yeah, true. True, true, true. Yeah. So, what's the solution though for how to avoid this and how to deal with it? Build inland. Like, mm. like literally, that's what they do. They ended up, they, <laughs> they basically, this was a temporary fix. They said, okay, we're just going to stop putting things on the coast and we're going to go in. And it like kind of worked for like a little bit. It kind of did solve some of the problems because they weren't, the Vi- the Norse Vikings weren't exactly trying to go in all the time, but it's not mm. going to stop the Norse fascination and interest in the land. So interesting strategy i yeah, mean I, I, I understand i understand the impulse because like you've been saying they have a very specific mo yeah of hit and run yeah and if you make it slightly more inland it's that's certainly more of a, a commitment to an attack exactly you know? exactly it's sort of the problem they bring up in game of thrones with the um uh, with the Ironborn, right? That, yeah, like, yeah. They they only want to raid coastal towns. The second they yes. go inland, their entire thing is thrown off. Yeah, they're beached. They're like the 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 squid that can't be in the water or whatever. Um, which what, I'm all, all, wait. What what squid can't can't be in the water? Well, I, I think they're not as it. I don't know. Can they not be in water? <laughs> right. I don't know. Well, no, I know that's what they said because it was like with the Greyjoy when he takes over um, Winter, Winter Winterfell. Thank you. I, you know, I had a poster. Why don't I know this? I'm I'm gonna assume though that that George R R Martin knew this history and was applying it because they're obviously very likely, very so, likely. But just like uh, the Starks were annoyed at them, uh, the early Irish are also very annoyed at this entire situation. And we actually have a written account uh, recorded in the Annals of Ulster, which serve as a main source to these historical accounts of kind of how we know this all happened. Although they're kind of off by a year or two, so that kind of messes with things. But, you know, nevertheless, they stated this in the record in 820 CE regarding these Viking mm. invaders. The sea spewed forth floods of foreigners over Erin, so that no haven, no landing place, no stronghold, no fort, no castle might be found. But it was submerged by waves of Vikings and pirates. Mm. So, a lot of a lot of flooding, a lot of metaphorical flooding of people coming in and taking stuff. Right. I bet I bet they I bet they really wish they still had some of those snakes. Probably yeah, probably yeah. <laughs> Now, before 837, (laughs) these Norse Vikings were essentially just conducting quick raids at a rapid pace like we were talking about. So, you know, this, they didn't really make a lot of contact with the Irish at this point. They weren't really getting involved or, you know, they kind of wouldn't have known who each other were. You know what I mean? Like, this is kind of like they would show up, they would break stuff, they would take stuff, and they would leave. And that was it. Um... And then, you know, this this was kind of commented on as well by saying that a naval force of the Norsemen, 60 ships strong, was on the Bjorn and another one of 60 ships on the River Life. 
Those two forces plundered the plain of life and the plain of Brega, including churches, forts, and dwellings. And the men of Brega rooted the foreigners at Dewin and Magdorna of Brega, and six score of the Norsemen fell. So essentially, this is when mm. they're starting to actually come in and start to take massive um, steps towards invasion. And actually, that is exactly what happens invasion because ah. they end up bringing 3,000 Norsemen to the Isle to lead stronger oh attacks God. against the towns. And this is basically the, the okay, you went in, we'll come get you. So basically they started taking their, the Norse Vikings were taking their prizes and either met precious metals that they could ransom off to other Christians who needed them because they were holier mm -hmm. or whatnot um, or just because it was silver. And also they would take slaves because we can't forget that that is pretty much the most valuable income here is taking people. So mm -hmm, that throws off mm -hmm. a little bit of the glory of the rating thing. Well, yeah, I, yeah I it's think, not a good I look. Think, well, I think again in this revision of Vikings that we that we have contemporaneously, as with any kind of the rating uh, roving cultures, is let's remember yeah. that this is also part of it. We can yeah. admire sort of the dumb fun of it, but like yeah, we have to. You take know, that this into this account. is we we are talking about extreme violent uh interactions yes exactly exactly which kind of makes the whole himbo thing we were talking about a little tough a little tough yeah. um, in this case but anyway so you know in this is gonna i think keep that kind of in mind of what's happening here of the fact that they're taking slaves or taking more land and claiming it on their own as an, and in fact actually uh settling because and the irish start to take note of this and it's Gonna this is going to continue well into the 800s until they, the Irish, that is, actually start to form their own resistance. Mm -hmm. And so around 845 became the boiling point for this. And the feudal the feuding Irish kings, because it's still kind of divided in this point of, like I was saying, mm -hmm. early feudalism, they're pretty much like, okay, we can't ignore this anymore. We can't just keep giving them coastal regions and, and silver. It's not working. It's just getting worse. Um, and... You know, essentially the Viking, the Norse Vikings were holding themselves up in the coastal areas around the Isle, and they were using that to make shorter and quicker raids. So if they park themselves in Dublin, which they end up doing, they can go faster along the coast and then just come back, and they have their own carved out territory. When they when they when when, when they when they parked in Dublin, did yep. they they get a ticket because they were d d Dublin parked. Oh, that's fun. I like that. <laughs> But so after after the Irish attacked them a few times, you know, winning some of the victories and this 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 push and pull is going to continue through the late 800s. This really isn't going to go anywhere. They're just going to be constantly fighting. But what's interesting is that because the Norse Vikings had rooted themselves in these Irish lands so strongly, they actually started to benefit off of a trade with the Irish communities. And oh. they, so this is where it, we kind of leave fighting for a minute because actually we end up starting they, they end up starting this odd host to invading group relationship that strengthens trade for both parties oh look at that yeah so it they were on to something kind of and they, but, they had they had they had some sort of some sort of truce some sort of peace yeah i'm sure i'm sure you two played yeah there was a there was a pro bono concert and stuff uh you know other a, things a, for... a pro a pro bono concert with bono <laughs> yes <laughs> A free concert with Bono. They called it pre-Bono. Take it or leave it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, but anyway, you know, this is all, this is kind of what's happening. So there's fighting, there's trading, there's no fighting, and so on. In, 
But this kind of gets a little shaken up when the Danes show up in 851 and actually attack not the Irish, but the Vikings controlling Dublin. Ah. But what's interesting, though, is Viking Dublin was originally formed as one of these small settlements for landing ships or parking, Dublin parking ships, as we like to call it. Yes, yes. But it's actually not controlled by the Norse Vikings, but a group of Scottish or Pictish Vikings led by their leader, Amblabe or Olaf. We're not entirely sure what these names would have been, uh, who teamed up with another who was named either Imar or Ivar or Ivar, depending. Okay. So essentially, these two shaped Dublin into a massive hub for Norse activity and trade through Ireland and would serve as an important trading post up until 1902 after being taken back by the Irish. Um, And these Viking battles for control of trade and territories, they're going to continue well into the 10th and 11th centuries. But ultimately, they end up as smaller territories under Irish control. And... You know, with that all being said, after all of this has happened and where this goes, this is going to take us to an entirely different part of the world. Oh. Yeah. So we're going to have, you know, it's Ireland's going to go through some other stuff happening. It's a lot more political. There's a lot more uh, involvement with the Danes in the whole, you know, Viking Wars. And, you know, we're interested in the aiding and trading where you're probably like, Joe, I'm not I don't care about the politics of who owned what ship at one time in in Dublin and who was double parking and paying for it. (laughs) I'm interested in the raiding. I'm interested in the travel. And that's where we're going to go right now, because unlike focusing on the West, we're going to go east to Russia. Or modern-day Russia. Russia. Yeah, and I know you're probably thinking, or it sounds like you're thinking this, Sam. What do the Vikings have to do with Russia? That seems a bit off. That is exactly my thought. I'm I'm imagining they would think, oh, we both have very long beards. Yes, Um, yes. I don't don't know what else they would have in common, I guess. Yeah, well, fighting probably. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and drinking. I'm. I actually have no idea. Well, what's interesting is we're gonna learn in this very brief because there's not a lot of interaction here that's recorded. But essentially, it's it's interesting to kind of look at this connection to early Scandinavia and its impact in this kind of Eastern European territory, which is mm-hmm. going, which will become known as the Kievan Rus, and that's what we're specifically gonna talk about. Ah. Now, the name Kievan Rus is of contemporary origin because of its ties to the city of Kiev, which is now in modern-day Ukraine, and the Rus mm-hmm. being the people we are going to be discussing throughout this whole part. But nevertheless, it translates similar to what it would have been called, which is the land of the Rus, or the Rus peoples. Okay. So the Kievan Rus was a medieval federation formed around 862, and it lasts until about 1242, and would have been located in modern-day, or around modern-day uh, Belarus, Ukraine, and parts of Russia. That is specifically the territory. The city is the same city. Rel- okay. give, or, give or take. So the Rus were actually a Scandinavian people, or believed to be a Scandinavian people, who we're going to be primarily focusing on for this section, and they're called the Rus Vikings. So if you ever hear that mentioned, or like the Eastern Vikings, that's what's being referred to. They're a lot different than the Dane or Norse counterparts. Um, and, you know, it's, yeah... But in the in tying up the loose ends of the name of this name origin, what it specifically comes from, essentially the Rus ruled from a city called Kiev, hence Kievan Rus. So okay, that kind of sums okay. that up. Now, the Kievan Rus has a large history, though, involved with trade and migration from Constantinople, another city we've mentioned a few times, 
and also with Slavic intervention, as well as then involvement in medieval politics that goes well past the Viking Age. So we're going to save those juicy details for another time because it's a whole different crazy story that's also very yeah. interesting, but it's a little separate from this. However, this is what lays the groundwork for all that to happen. So we, you know, in order to talk about that, we got to talk about the Vikings' involvement within this specific area. So the Rus Vikings are first mentioned in the Annals of Britain, which focuses on a diplomatic presence from Constantinople and such. But what it also mentions is that the Rus were actually Swedes. Huh. However, you know, their, their ethnicity's never actually been confirmed, though, and this is kind of just a theory. But if we remember the Vibe King Swedes from the first part of the tour last week, it's possible that they were involved with the Rus and could have been a part of that. And it sounds a lot more interesting in this way. And this is where that kind of theory of did the Swedish actually go and, and settle in, in now modern-day Russia or did they not? We don't actually know. Right, this kind of right. uh, goes there's with that. An, there's an odd bunch of historical yes. jumbles here. Exactly. Like, I, I mean, certainly confusing in the sense that we, you know, how we think of Eastern Europe as Slavic. Yes. Yeah. And and it, it's interesting to hear that there's potential. I always wonder about, I think, that relationship with Scandinavia because, you know, obviously they have a proximity to Russia. They have, uh, you know, they in, in contemporary times, you know, we think of them as pretty much functioning socialist democracies. If, if yes, I'll, I'll be at wealthy ones that kind of can, you know, uh, pay for all of that. Right. So like, does this factor in at all into, you know, the Russia's Russia's idea of, uh, like, like it, during the USSR, but even, um, even in contemporary times, where Russia was like, actually, no, we're going to take this portion of uh, Ukraine because we see it as historically being a part of Russia. So we don't really see any issue of taking Ukraine. Like, does this right. factor in at all to Russia's, uh, you know? trying to uh encroach on the norwegians uh like in the early 20th century like Mm, uh, does 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 this is is there like some idea that like scandinavia was rightfully part of russia all along not to my knowledge but there is this counter i okay so like the idea of the these like Scandinavian peoples being the actual founders of this empire because like just to kind of lead into your question because mm-hmm. this is going to kind of answer part of it is that like yeah you know the Rus essentially are really formed because they allegedly as the story goes the pre peoples of 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 the Kievan Rus invite them invite the Rus to help mm. to basically maintain order and what ends up happening out of this is three brothers and one named Rurik, who is the main guy here, they answer and they end up forming the Rurik dynasty that's going to last about 700 years after this. Oh, And okay. we're in, yeah, we're like, this is the 700s. So it goes a long way, as I mentioned, you know, when mm. it forms. So like, uh, this is like, like that bloodline leads to Ivan the Terrible, just to give you an idea. Oh. 
Okay. So, but to answer your question, just because I needed that little bit of a backing to kind of pose why Mm -hmm. this is a bit controversial too, there's people that believe that this theory is the correct one, and it's because we do have archaeological evidence that I'll get into a moment that there were Scandinavian peoples in these areas, um, specifically more on like the border, like where Helsinki is in Finland now and past that. Uh, Mm, But there's also this other idea that, hey, no, Slavic peoples found it. It's a, it's ours, you know, all these people came together and this is what made it. And that's what formed the country. And that's a bit less claimed because it's a, it's a little nationalistic. Well, I guess it can't really be because it's Slavic peoples in this way, but like, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, but there's this yeah. proof here. So we can't necessarily negate that. Well, so yeah, I, could... I, yeah, <clears throat> I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by this idea and stuff, but yes, it also does sound like one of those things that like says like, ah, but the Aryans really formed all civilizations. And then these dirty Slavs came and took it over, you know? Uh, no, I mean, it, this is a bit, it's different because it wasn't like it's not a hostile relationship in this way where there's like this glory day or this like high people and then there's the low ones you know there's not like a pro and con this is actually a very interesting thing and I don't think we you know see it a lot because actually like these Scandinavian based peoples would have been living amongst the Slavic Mm -hmm. peoples and similar in that way Uh, and then eventually they just blend yeah, yeah, a, a a more blended, blurry border than exactly. something that would resemble a modern country. Yeah, it's kind of like what Denmark and England are going to have later on, and like that whole fact of like if you are like a hundred percent Anglo-Saxon, you probably have Danish blood. Like realistically, that's right. What so like, yeah, and, and, but in this case, like we do have evidence that they were around that area, and like specifically, um. You know, there's been physical evidence from digs that shows in in 750 CE there was a Scandinavian settlement that was formed and then found at Staraja Ladoga near the Volga River, which would have been the first ever recorded village in the area by early Norse peoples. So, mm-hmm. and that's like up north towards like Finland, that area, or maybe a little lower. Not entirely sure, but it's it's like no, it's it's towards that border, but. What's interesting, and this is actually um, according to scholar Thomas S. Noonan, who says that early Scandinavian people lived in that Ladoga area, and quotes that a set of Scandinavian Baltic, um, a, a set of Scandinavian Baltic smithy tools, including a talisman with the face of Odin, was found in a statuum of the 750s. Mm-hmm. And the Scandinavians who visit, visited Ladoga did not come to loot and raid. They were. There were no other towns in the vicinity, monasteries did not exist, and the neighboring burial mounds of the local peoples were very modest in their contents. So this poses an entirely different vision because we're used to Vikings, like I said, raiding and trading. But in this case, it's they're not. It's just they settled, Mm. they're there, and they got along, so to speak. For them, we don't actually know, but like there wasn't this Well, yeah, but but this is this definitely paints a picture of uh just cohabitation or just just existing just exactly and like i think the way to look at it is it's very probable before even the middle ages that there were multiple different tribes of groups including the slavic peoples who were around the area everybody had their own little piece of land communicated Mm -hmm. and did their thing and then eventually somebody had some power and decided to set up a little bit of some organization and then the mongols are going to come and wipe it all out for a little bit you know, and that's kind ah. of how this goes. Because, but, but what I think is fascinating is, you know, we've been talking for most of this tour about 
Norse Vikings or Dane Vikings coming in and just destroying stuff and carving out a piece, kind of like that. How do you yeah. control an empire? How do you politically involve yourself without biting off more than you can chew? And I think this is a different answer to that because mm-hmm. it proposed this idea that, hey, some of these people are already here and they're actually going to mm-hmm. adapt and trade and make it all the way down to Constantinople and trade a lot more. And it's kind of wild. Um, but besides, yeah. and in that, besides the settlement in, in Ladoga, the story of this founding of everything that happens follows Rorik um, to creating his capital of Novgorod, which I think comes up a bit. And Novgorod also had uh, Norse artifacts uncovered and located there as well. Oh. Again, backing up this idea. Okay. That's why I was okay. saying it's like that's the more probable answer, the first one, besides the whole like, no, Slavic peoples founded it because there's like, there's evidence backing this up. I, I don't want to say yes or no on either of those, though, only because I don't know a lot about it, and I don't think it's right to necessarily come in without knowing a lot and just start speaking for the creation of entirely different groups of people. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. regardless, so as the story goes, and Rourke becomes his ruler, and he's chilling, he's got his Roost Vikings, everything's kind of okay, now the capital is set up, he... Two of his men named Askel and Deer asked to take leave and journey to land out in Zargrad, which is kind of like a rough translation into Constantinople, essentially. That's what they would have named it. So they want to go there. They want to make money and do whatever they want. And he grants their leave. And as they begin their journey, they end up in a place called Key, which was a city on a hill. And in true Vikinger-like fashion, because we can't lose it, they conquer it and form the city of Kiev. Oh, so that's how we end ju- up getting ju- Kiev just, and Rus. Just like you do, I guess. Well, they were <laughs> oh like, hey, God. this is a cool place. There's money. Yeah. And we can actually, instead of going all the way to Constantinople, we should just take this. Kind of, I think this ends up falling into your whole like Roman city finding deal, except if there were like people there and they just took it over before, you know, which is right, probably right, may yeah. have what would have happened. But anyway, you know, this becomes as they built Kiev, this becomes like the biggest launching points for these Viking raids in Eastern Europe specifically. Uh, because there's also, as we mentioned before, their ships, because it's a similar ship build that was pretty common, can go on rivers. And in now modern day, like Eastern Europe, Russia, you know, through Ukraine, Belarus and such, uh, there's a lot of rivers and you can navigate them if you have the right tech. And right. they did. So they would have done some raiding and, and of course trading, but not as much as we would have seen in like England and what we talk about. So there's some stories that have also been kind of accounted to this, like, for instance, that 200 ships set off to invade uh, Constantinople, but were actually struck by a storm, and therefore they couldn't do the attack because God prevented it and so on. But the dates don't exactly match up with the narrative, so it's kind of hard to say if it even happened. But um, Yeah, God, God was busy that day. God was busy, and they didn't write it down in time, and somebody wrote it down later. So we, we don't actually know, but, like, it, you know, that's, like, possible. It's possible mm-hmm. they try, but again, mm-hmm. I don't know. I wouldn't. I don't think they would have, even if they wanted to, because they make good money from them. Constantinople's <laughs> a huge trading part. Why would they want to fight it? You oh, know what yeah. I mean? It's a different mentality. This is. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's this whole struggle over centuries and centuries to control that area. Yeah. I understand that. You know, just the idea, especially once you talk about Russia and like its eternal quest to find. Yes. Uh, warm a warm water port yes uh, exactly and i think you can see that kind of starting to happen even here um but like i said that's going to get us into a whole different part of slavic history because uh, okay. it's going to it's going to start to blend really soon with russia the beginnings of russia or what would become russia and the russian empire but um 
you know, going back to Askel and Deer, these people who created Kiev, they're thriving. Like the treasury of Kiev is boost. It, it, it is like bolstering with income. They have a lot going on. It's becoming another trade port. And that's partially also because it's closer to the Caspian Sea and it's, you know, yeah. on the way to Constantinople. So, you know, but this is kind of where that narrative of the Vikings starts to move away from them. The, we don't really hear much about the Eastern Vikings after this. You know, Rorik dies of natural causes. The area begins to actually form its own kingdom and will, with it, armies to expand its borders. And this is where you kind of start to see the blend. You know, you have now Slavic soldiers and, and, and the Scandinavian soldiers, and I think they all would have kind of started to be maybe different ethnic groups, but also that area is filled with different ethnic groups just being, you know, Slavic is not necessarily just one group of people. There's multiple different, you know, ethnicities and ideas and cultures embedded there. So I can see how this would be somewhere where people would start to blend and culturally change and, and mm-hmm, actually mm-hmm. Um, take on the roles of them. And even like, you know, as we mentioned, when the Vikings, or, you know, quote-unquote Vikings, but they wouldn't have been Vikings who went to North America, and they didn't, you know, there was no evidence of them being there or changing anything, for instance. I mean, there was evidence of them there, but changing specifically. This is different, because we know Mm -hmm. that there was a lot of things that that came over with them. There was a lot of territories that changed from this, and even culture. So, you know, as... I don't know how much this really affects the direct Russian translation today, what the country's like now, or even what Eastern Europe is like now. But I think we can make a solid argument that that lays a lot of groundwork specifically for that area of, of Eastern or of, I guess, Western Russia in this case. Um, And I think that that's very fascinating that this kind of is laying this groundwork for the czar takeover later in the whole Russian empire. And then eventually Mm -hmm. the Mongols coming in and it's a very short amount of time (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, this also would have led for people of the Arab world to know who the Vikings were, at least Eastern Rus Vikings. And also, you know, even in just Europe in general, there's these multiple different groups of people who are uh, raiding and trading, as I always say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think what's, you know, fascinating with that is that, you know, they're, it's a little bit different of a narrative than that of England. It's not the wars. It's not the politics. I mean, obviously it's there and we don't know that much about it. I think if you do an insane amount of digging, it's possible we'll learn more. I hope we do. Cause it's really fascinating, yeah. but it's just, di- it's a completely different area that is not as much talked about when it comes to discussing Vikings. And I think that that's interesting to throw into the canon. Yeah, no, this is absolutely fascinating. I did not, uh i hardly knew i i I hardly know anything about vikings to begin with and this was all such great research and great new information uh oh i'm glad i mean i got one more place if you're interested in extending our world tour just for like a few more seconds i mean yeah yeah the, (laughs) the the vikings can can go further i guess uh well exactly and just i think this is kind of the common <laughs> thing here is like you know there's just gonna start to become less and less information because we just don't know enough about early viking interaction in these different areas but i did find out and surprising to me of being from this area that they made it around sicily and even italy as well as spain so they made what? it to the mediterranean 
Now that is extremely interesting. Thinking about the Vikings, yes. you think you think the Vikings would have like once they got That's to the Mediterranean, pasta. they thawed out and like were like, okay, this is actually this is, kind of nice. This is cool. Yeah, they, they're I like, hope. wait, 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 wait. We've been fighting over Ireland, and we could have been, been on here? the Mediterranean the whole time. Exactly. I I love this whole thing. To when I found mm-hmm. out about this, I was ecstatic. I was like, this is so interesting because what a culture shock especially at this time you know there now upon researching it though it's very hard to find a lot of information (laughs) because it's just not much was written down it's not as popular wasn't as interesting i guess and also because Mm -hmm. it was so hit and run they didn't really start to conquer anything until later with the normans but we'll get to that at the kind of next part of everyone everyone wishes they could be in the mediterranean longer it's very true including myself um (laughs) but you know this kind of happens with like the first earliest is recorded the first earliest earliest raid or attack is recorded in 844 ce when they attacked spain and its coastal towns but then they're shortly after chased off by the then arab inhabitants and who was controlling the the isle yeah peninsula or the the iberian iberian peninsula yeah the moors are Moors, yes hmm. yeah the moors don't fuck around with no they were like out done gone <laughs> it was very quick and very short enough that they were like over it you know um and you know for for its connection to italy though scholar elise rosendahl states that the viking that a viking winter camp was known from the rhone delta region and, and towns and cities such as pisa were plundered in what is now modern day italy so oh my God. one can assume that they actually made it all the way there and attacked some towns every now and then stole some stuff and left and because of their boats like i said they that's very much possible um, and there's some mm-hmm. sources recorded in Frankish annals of St. Britain, as was mentioned before, but then there's also other sources coming from the Arab world. And one such source is that of the writer Ahmad Ibn Fadla, who says after his kind of run-in with a few early Scandinavians and writes this down, I've never seen more perfect physiques than theirs. They are like palm trees, are fair and reddish, and do not wear the tunic or the kaftan. So hmm. interesting description, but it's so it's it's likely himbos. Though, hi, yeah, this is our closest to himbos. I mean, that is essentially kind of like Wayne from Letter. An, an so. entire army of Johnny Bravos. Oh my god, could you imagine? Oh hi there. Oh oh oh. Oh, I can't do the Johnny Bravo impression. Y- you, you gotta you got think think oh. Elvis. Yeah, think I know, Elvis. I know. It's <laughs> bad. <laughs> hello, hello, hello there. Hi there, pretty mama. There. <laughs> Oh my god! Amazing. Um, so it's likely that they could've... yeah, whatever. <laughs> so it's likely they could have met Vikings from the east who would have been located on the Caspian Sea and and been able to blend into cultures because they were doing so at the time. So they could have been obviously coming in and trading. But it's actually possible you could have ran into a group of Norse Vikings coming from the Mediterranean Sea, and specifically because he quotes this about their funeral rites being performed. So in the case of a rich man, they gather together his possessions and divide them into their three portions, one third for his household, one third for with which to cut funeral garments for him, and one third with which they ferment alcohol, which they drink on the day when his slave girl kills herself and is burned together with her master. Now, this is more common of Norse practice uh-huh. and maybe Dane than it would have been in the East that we know of. So that leads us to kind of believe the fact that this actually could have been that Norse Vikings 
made it to the Mediterranean and encountered this this guy and they hung out, maybe had a drink or something, and then left. That's crazy to me. And it's so yeah. fascinating because mm-hmm. it then changes, I think, so much how we kind of start to... Th- or maybe it's me, because I'm just going to center myself for a second. Like, how much I used to think about early medieval contact, right? The fact that you now have a group of people from all the way north, and Norway even being farther, pre-Iceland, getting all the way down to, like, Italy, or hanging out in... Um, mm-hmm. God, you know, who knows? Even possibly North Africa. It's so interesting. Yeah. And I, I and this is kind of, this is the last place that we will be going on our world tour. This is where it ends specifically from what I have found um, to kind of broaden the horizons past England, past Iceland and North America and moving, you know, to what is the Mediterranean. And so to kind of map this all out, we've gone from earlier, well, later technically in history, North America, potentially, all the way then to most likely Italy, potentially North Africa, and also Constantinople and the East, really. And mm-hmm. that's a lot of land covered by groups of sea peoples. But I think what's also interesting to kind of, you know, remember is like, regardless of the war and raiding, that this period of time shows just how important commerce actually was to everyone surviving it, you know, surviving during yeah. this time. That it's raiding and trading was just one of the ways of setting up trade routes. But although in a brutal fashion, this is going to lay the groundwork for setting up the mercantile routes and later markets that the Renaissance are going to benefit off of, you know, like it doesn't necessarily tie back to the Vikings. I don't think we can say that everything is, Oh, okay. The Vikings set it all up. It's all them. I don't think that that's the message here with this and why I kind of point out the commerce, but I think it's interesting to think of how much bigger a role they actually, they, they would have possibly had and more than previously thought and also how much they would have traveled and it kind of brings mm-hmm. me to my main point of this tour and, and in closing this specific part of it. And, you know, really just with how much medieval Europe was connected with not just themselves, but the outside world as well and other cultures. And I, I really do hope that in the future we might learn more about this history and some new insights mm-hmm. are going to come out of it. And hopefully leaving the I'm part Viking stuff out of it and the, as well as the hyperfixation on what they would have looked like but more on how potentially other groups of sea peoples impacted communication and trade as well. Not just Vikings, but other ones too. I think that's where this history needs to take us, and I hope eventually it does. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly like, it's uh, it's so illuminating to how, uh, you know, how how foggy history can be but also like how connected yeah. I, I think that connectivity is, is so interesting how capable humanity has, has always been of all of these feats of travel and, uh-huh. and net and networking and everything. It, it, it is, it is so interesting. And I think also, yeah, it, it does speak to, you know, it, it does, it does speak to trying to dismantle any idea of, homogenous history mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, of of any kind like exactly it's uh it's it's extremely fascinating and i think it's yeah. very useful to keep studying for sure and i mean i think we can pick back up on the next part in our last installment of this vibe kings world tour um that we've had at the uncanny county museum 
where we'll be focusing on the later parts leading up to travel in North America and then kind of sitting back and I think just digesting a lot of this information and really discussing this and, and following up with even what you were saying, Zan, about the fact that the, you know, this kind of fights against that homogenized idea, right? This idea of like one group of people doing one thing, one group of people doing another and always existing in isolation. I think it's so much more interesting to think now how actually everybody was kind of entangled with one another. And even like as a little aperitif for what's to come, that <laughs> the wars in England don't end just in 900s because like the Viking war specifically stopped. It just then picks back up and then you're going to get into a whole other turbulent style. And again, I think it's so fascinating to think of that even in terms of our own language, the one that we're talking right now. It's it's so interesting, but I don't think that, you know, we could do this with any culture. We could do this with any history, right? That it's all mm -hmm, going to lead mm -hmm. back. The Vikings in our, in this case are just kind of our vehicle of choice to talk about Europe, European history in particular, but I think you could apply this to a lot of other places. Obviously completely different, but it's that mm -hmm. same idea of, of leading a groundwork and shaping things, and it's not necessarily the people or the, like, well, that, idea that no of one, no one exists. No one exists within a vacuum. If you're going exactly. to read the, the history of the, of the Spanish, or you're going to read a history of, uh, of Egypt... Yeah, you know, all of these places are, you know, in part, in part, how we define all of these things, mm -hmm. because we want to watch for any sort of bias from inside, which, you know, tends to, you know, make your side yeah. sound as innocent as possible. Exactly. And then from the outside, wanting to demonize you as much as possible. And really, the only way that we can ever confirm anything is looking at two conflicting sources and trying to find something in the middle. Um, yeah. One, one of my professors uh, talks about this quite a lot with Jewish history um, and the idea that like, okay, well, the, the Jews in this period describe themselves as this um, and we can kind of confirm this uh, and because of that, we can confirm something that someone else wrote about them, because otherwise mm. it's probably just some there's all these other writings, you know, looking down on them. Uh, right. So like where where is the overlap where we can confirm anything? Yeah. Yeah, I. I yeah, I, I, I think it's all it's it's kind of very interesting to think of that, too, you mm -hmm. know, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it is. <laughs> well, it is. What you do, you don't know all the answers? I don't. Unfortunately, no. I only know weirdly specific um, facts on language <laughs> and Vikings, apparently. So that's it. That's all you get out of me. And also my opinions on contemporary art. And that's about it. That's all I know. I, oh, uh, gosh. I Well, people came to the right place to hear you talk about that. Oh, um, I hope so. Yeah, and thank you so much for doing all of this research mm -hmm. on this. Of course, so of course. so interesting. Uh, yeah, and I think we'll have some room for maybe one more discussion. I think on, one uh... more is about right. I think this. Is... Yes. What? So let's sort the Vikings from the Lie Kings. Um, the Lion Kings, because Hamlet. The Lion Kings. <laughs> I think so. I think I think yeah. um you know this we can at least finish up and get to a point that's not just the fixated part of history and you know that can bring our tour of the vibe kings 
to a close. So <laughs> thank you all so much for you know coming on this journey with us. Really appreciate you being here. Really appreciate you taking the time to hear what I got to say and what you know we both have to discuss about this. I know we're both passionate about all these things and you know always questioning everything. Um, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Zan, what you got going on? Anything before we kind of close out here? Um, let's see. Uh, I have the group show that I'm a part of at the Limner Gallery, uh, July 10th, Arte Natura in Hudson, New York. Uh, mm. I will be there. I don't think I have too much else to plug right now. What about you? Uh, you know, same, not too much. I have, I think I've mentioned here a couple times the upcoming show in south korea that i'm waiting to hear some more info back at the cica museum um of course i always put updates here and i will so again i guess if you're in south korea go that could be fun (laughs) uh i still have the my work american landscapes available on my website you can go to my instagram at josemino art to get there uh check it out especially if you went on our tour about the westerns in cinema it makes a lot of sense of where i'm coming from because i can't translate things to my to words all the time also the midnight drive available on radiopapetsay.org and of course i'll always update any information that i have here for all of you yes 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 um yeah i you can find me and my work at xanasaurus on instagram Uh, If you want to follow the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Uh, We love hearing from you. Uh, If you have show suggestions, comments, uh, we're happy to listen. Corrections, you know? Yes, always, Uh, always. Supplemental information. Always, please, please. If you know anything more Mm -hmm. about the roost, let me know, because I don't know much. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> where did the roost come to roost we want to know we do want to know tweet at us yes well this has been uh extremely interesting i can't wait to hear more uh i guess that about does it from the uncanny county museum i have been zan peters and i've been joe Samino. bye-bye <laughs>